Amen. I wanted to come up here, but my wife told me no. So that may have been for the better. So maybe next time, Bill. So, all right. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 5, 1 through 15. This morning, as Bill said, we're going to continue looking at the miracles of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at the miracle of Jesus healing a man at the pool of Bethesda. And as Jesus encounters this man, he asks him a very simple question. He asks him the question, do you want to get well? Now, I don't know anyone who is sick, anyone who is ill, anyone who is suffering who would answer this question any other way than, yes, I want to get well. I don't know anyone who is sick who would want to continue to be sick if there was a way that they could be healed. Being sick, suffering is miserable. It's no fun at all. You're limited in what you can do, and you may be isolated. And I know when I'm sick, my wife puts me in the bedroom and pushes my food under the door and leaves the drink outside the door. Amen. She doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm in complete isolation. And if I had been asked this question, do I want to get well when I've been sick? There's no doubt I would say absolutely I would want to be healthy again. And when you go to the doctor and he tells you if you want to get well, if you want to recover, you need to do these things. He may say you need to take medicine. He may say you need to exercise. He may say you need to eat differently or you need to drink gallons of water. And if you don't do as prescribed, you're not going to get well. And if you have to go back to the doctor because you're not getting well, he's going to ask you this question. Did you do what I asked? And if you say no, he will say, no wonder you're not well. You're not going to get well unless you do what I say. But another facet to this question, do you want to get well, is that in order to get well, you have to realize that you are sick. Now physically, we know when we're not feeling well. We know when our body is telling us something is not right. We know we need to seek help. But this question, do you want to get well, not only has a physical aspect, it also has a spiritual aspect. You see, when we're born, we enter this world with a spiritual sickness called sin. And if we want to be healed from this sickness, we have to realize that we are sick. We have to understand that we are born with what's called original sin. We are born with what's called a sin nature. We enter this world as a sinner with the tendency to do what is wrong and not right. No one enters this world as good. And there are many people in our world today and around us who don't even realize they are spiritually sick. They don't even realize that they have a sin problem. And so when they are confronted with this question, do you want to get well, they don't think they need to get well because they don't even know that they are sick. Someone sent me an article this week called Statement of Theology, and it's very, very eye-opening. 71% of adults in the United States believe everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. 65% of evangelical Christians believe this same statement. Here's the problem. If we are not born as sinners, if we are not born with a sin nature, there is no need for a Savior. That's the whole reason Jesus came to begin with. 
If we don't have a sin nature, if we don't have a problem with sin, there was no reason for Jesus to come and give his life for us. There are others who know sin is a problem. There are others who know they need to get well. But they try to take care of their spiritual sickness in their own way. Maybe through good works. Maybe through following rules of religion. Maybe through just being spiritual. But it's like going to the doctor and he tells you exactly what you need to do to be healed. And instead of following the doctor's orders, you choose your own direction. And when it comes to being healed, to being cured of our spiritual sickness of sin, there are not many ways to be healed. There is only one way, and that one way is Jesus. And we are not going to get well unless we follow his prescription for the cure of our sin. And what cures our sin is nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this morning, I want you to think about how you would respond to Jesus if he asked you this question, do you want to get well? And I want you to think about what needs to happen in your life if you want to be spiritually healed. And after Jesus' ministry in Samaria, we know from the other Gospels that Jesus spent considerable time ministering in the region of Galilee. Now in the Gospel of John, John takes us back to Jerusalem to an encounter Jesus had with a man that resulted in a miraculous healing. So let's look at John 5, 1 through 15 this morning. John 5, 1 through 15, the scriptures say this. After this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a multitude of the sick, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the morning for the moving of the water, because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up, recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water's stirred, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your bedroll and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his bedroll, and he started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, This is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your bedroll. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your bedroll and walk. Who is this man who told you, Pick up your bedroll and walk, they asked. But the man who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is if we want to get spiritually well, we must understand first we are imprisoned to our sin just like this multitude was imprisoned to their sickness. You see, the pool of Bethesda is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture or any other historical writings. And the Hebrew word for Bethesda means house of mercy. It means house of grace. And this miracle of healing took place during a Jewish festival, John says. We're not sure which festival it was. It could have been Passover. It could have been Pentecost. It could have been the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles. But among biblical scholars, Passover is the most popular choice. But 
But John really doesn't tell us which festival because his story is not tied to the festival that is happening. He also says the location of the pool is near the Sheep Gate. I think we have a PowerPoint slide that shows where this Sheep Gate is and where the temple is. The other one, Anthony, if you got it. Right here. If you see in the middle of the screen, you see the temple, you see at the, at the center, at the northern part of the temple, it says the Sheep Gate. And then you'll see the Pool of Bethesda in there as well. It actually is called on this slide the Pool of Beth, Bethzantha. It went by several different names. But that's where this temple and that's where the Sheep Gate was located. It was on the north side of the temple. And this is the gate that shepherds would bring their sheep through on the way to the temple to be sacrificed. And possibly there is a connection between John mentioning the Sheep Gate and maybe Passover, as Jesus not only is the good shepherd, but he is also the lamb that was going to be sacrificed for our sin. And the Gospel of John describes the pool as having five porticos, or porches, or colonnades. And a colonnade is simply a series of columns set at regular intervals that is usually supporting the base of a roof structure. And this site was actually discovered in 1888 by an archaeologist named K. Schick. Prior to this, scholars did not think that the pools of Bethesda existed. And when this pool was first discovered, archaeologists only noticed one pool. However, a hundred years later, they did a more careful excavation and they discovered there were actually two pools. And you'll see on the slide here, it shows what these pools actually would have looked like during Jesus' time. Those are the two pools. You have a south pool and a northern pool. And then you see the porticos on the sides. That is what John is referring to when he says the five colonnades. And the pools were originally associated with healing. But in the discovery of the second pool, they also discovered that they were used for what's called a mikvah or a purification bath, where Jews who came to Jerusalem would purify themselves before worship. The pool has an extreme depth of 43 feet. It's shaped like a trapezoid. It's 165 to 200 feet wide and 315 feet long. And a central partition divides it into two pools. The southern pool had broad steps with landings. That's why they think that's where the, the rituals for the purification baths took place, the mikvahs. And the northern pool was the reservoir that continually replenished the southern pool. And it would repurify the southern pool with fresh water that was flowing south through the dam between them. And the pool's being separated by, by a wall that gives us the five colonnades. And what was discovered by archaeologists exactly matches the description given in the Gospel of John. And what this shows is that there is more evidence to the truth of Scripture. There has not been one archaeological discovery that has contradicted Scripture. Every single archaeological discovery that they have found in Israel has done nothing but corroborate the truth of Scripture. But Jews traveling to Jerusalem were not only the ones that were coming to the Pool of Bethesda for the, the ritual of purification. As John says in his gospel, it was also a center of healing. And those who needed healing were at this pool, as he explained in verses 3 and 4, because they believed that waiting for the moving of the water, an angel would come down, stir up the pool, and then the first one who got in the pool was healed from their ailment. Now, if you notice in your Bible, 
that verses 3 and 4 may be enclosed in brackets. Because in most modern translation, this section of Scripture is included in brackets or in footnotes indicating that it was not part of the earliest Greek manuscripts, but scholars believe it was placed there by an early scribe who wanted the readers to understand the purpose of why people were coming to the pool of Bethesda. And it's included here to give us context as to what is happening. That the sick, the lame, the blind, the paralyzed would gather at this pool. And every so often the water would be stirred up and they believed it was an angel that was stirring the waters. And the first one in the water would be healed. And instead of seeking out the healer, Jesus, who had come to Jerusalem and heal and save, there was a multitude of people who gathered around their pool. And they pinned their hopes on the chance that they might be the first one in the waters. Now imagine the chaos that ensued when the waters were stirred as as this multitude of people were probably pushing and shoving and knocking others out of the way to be the first one in. You know, I get images of Black Friday, of what it used to look like, of people shoving through the doors trying to get the best deals or remember the 1980s the release of the cabbage patch kids how people were beating each other up trying to get them off their shelves and and grabbing them from people and doing all kinds of things to get the latest cabbage patch doll they would fight over these idols by pushing and shoving and i'm sure that's the same scene that unfolded because it was only the first person who was in the water that was healed and think of the disappointment that followed for the many who were not the first one in. Their situation remained unchanged. These people were imprisoned to their illness. These people were hurting. These people were helpless. These people had little hope. Their only hope was waiting for their opportunity to come for the waters to be stirred so they could get in the water first and be healed. But the very one who could have healed them, Jesus, was walking among them and they failed to recognize him I believe this is a picture of the losses that we have in our world today because just as this multitude was imprisoned to their sickness and looking for a way out there are multitudes of people today who are imprisoned to their sin they're hurting they're helpless they have little hope they're looking for anything to fill that void in their lives Yet the answer to their helplessness, the answer to their hopelessness, Jesus is walking among them and they fail to recognize him. They continue to live in sin, looking for hope and looking for healing. And they're looking in all the wrong places. And if they keep looking in the wrong places, they're going to spend an eternity in a place called hell, separated from God forever. They fail to recognize and realize the cure to their brokenness is among them actually passing by. But they do not acknowledge him, much less respond to him. And even though this multitude represents humanity held captive by sin, there is one key difference. You see, those imprisoned by sin don't have to wait for the waters to be stirred. There's no waiting period to come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus any time you want. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Romans 10, 
Verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13 says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is not a waiting period to come to Jesus. You can call on Him at any time and anywhere. You don't have to wait for the waters to be stirred. H.L. Hunt made millions as a Texas oilman, and he was an aggressive businessman. He had little regard for time, and he had a chief confidant by the name of John. And John could be called upon at any time. It didn't matter the hour, didn't matter the day. And one night, John received a call from H.L. Hunt at 2 a.m. in the morning. And he excitedly declared, he said, John, I just made the greatest trade in my life. I traded the here for the hereafter. I just got saved. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you need today to trade the here for the hereafter. And you don't need to be imprisoned to your sin anymore by giving your life to Jesus. Don't wait. Your day of salvation is today and not tomorrow. Don't remain imprisoned to your sin. Allow Jesus to take your sin from you. Because that's why he went to the cross. The second point I want to make is we are helpless to free ourselves from our sin. Just like this man was helpless to free himself from his sickness. We are helpless to free ourselves from our sin. In verses 5 through 7, John tells us about a man who had been paralyzed. He had been an invalid for 38 years. Now think about that. He has been in this condition eight years before Jesus was born at this time. Jesus is roughly about 30 years old at the time that this happened. And this man has been paralyzed, has been an invalid for eight years before Jesus was even born. And this man was considered old for the time period as a life expectancy in those days was around 35 to 40 years old. And so if this man had been paralyzed during his childhood, he could be anywhere between 50 or 60 years old. And notice it does not say this man had laid at this pool for 38 years. You know, for years I thought that. That he laid here for 38 years. It doesn't say that. It says that he has been an invalid for 38 years. And it's more likely that he was brought to this pool regularly when the disturbing of the water was expected in hope that one day he might be able to get in first. And being paralyzed, he couldn't very easily get into the pool by himself. So perhaps maybe friends or relatives carried him to the pool every morning and went back at night and got him. And during the day, there was no one there to help him. And of all the hurting people at the pool that day, Scripture says there was a multitude. Jesus chose this one man. And Jesus asked this man a question that goes to the heart of the matter. He says, do you want to get well? On the surface, we may think, why in the world did Jesus ask this question? Of course this man wanted to get well. He has been in this condition for 38 years. He spends every day at this pool hoping he can be the first one in. What kind of question is that? Why is Jesus asking him, do you want to get well? I think of Moses trying to persuade Pharaoh to let God's people go. Pharaoh didn't want to. He considered it free manual labor. And to get Pharaoh's attention, God sent ten plagues. And one of the plagues God sent was the plague of the frogs. 
And frogs were everywhere you looked. Frogs were everywhere you stepped. They were in the kitchen. They were in the bed. They were in the food. They were everywhere. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, I can make these frogs disappear, Pharaoh, if you will let my people go. What did Pharaoh say? He didn't say, yes, that would be great. He said, well, let me think about it. Give me one more night. Are you serious? If your house was full of frogs, and someone came to you and said, I can get rid of those frogs if you want me to. You just need to do this. Would you say, you know, give me one more night. Let me think about it. But that's what Pharaoh did. And I think the reason Jesus asked this question is he wanted to assess this man's desire. He wanted to assess this man's faith and this man's heart. He wanted to hear it from the man himself, whether or not he really wanted to get well or stay the way he was. This question was not a joke. Jesus was not trying to trick this man. Jesus had compassion on this man. He was showing him compassion. Jesus wanted to get personally involved in this man's life and truly change him and look at the man's answer to the question Jesus asked in verse 7 Jesus asked him in the verse 6 do you want to get well he says sir I don't have a man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up but while I'm coming someone goes down ahead of me this man answered the wrong question Jesus didn't ask him why do you want to get well Jesus asked him how do you want to get well or do you want to get well? Have you ever asked a question and the answer you get does not correspond to the question you ask? This happens all the time with parents and children, probably teachers and students or husbands and wives. You know, you'll ask your child, well, why'd you get the grade on that test? Well, I didn't do as bad as everybody else. I didn't ask you if you didn't do as well as everybody else. I ask you, why, didn't, why did you get the grade you got? Or why did you get pulled over by the police? Well, I, was, I wasn't going as fast as everybody else. I don't know why they pulled me over. That's not what I asked. A lot of times we ask the wrong question. Or we answer the wrong question that's asked. Jesus asked, do you want to get... Well, he wanted a simple answer. And rather than saying, absolutely, I want to get well, he explained to Jesus why he couldn't get well he says Jesus I don't have anybody to help me in the pool Jesus I'm in bad shape I can't move Jesus already knew why he couldn't get into the pool he wanted to know if his life wanted to be changed he was asking this man do you want to be different or do you want to stay as you are but this man thought his healing depended upon someone having to help him into the pool. This man knew he needed to be free from his sickness. But he didn't understand the kind of help Jesus could give him and was offering him. He could not think of another scenario, another way to get well, to be healed. The only answer he could see to his problem was the pool. But the solution to this man's problem was standing right in front of him. The solution of this man's problem was not the pool. His solution was Jesus. He couldn't see it. Why couldn't he see it? Because he was so focused on getting to the pool. He had tunnel vision. 
And maybe he was hoping that Jesus would be the one to help him into the pool. But what he wasn't doing was looking to Jesus for healing. There's no doubt this man had the desire to get well. If he didn't have the desire to get well, he wouldn't have been at the pool as often as, his, as he was. But in his mind, he lacked the opportunity. And he fails to realize who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. But now the opportunity to get well is standing right in front of him. And today, Jesus asks us the same question as he asked this man. He asks us, do you want to get well? Unfortunately, there are many people who don't want to get well spiritually. There are many people who have no desire to get right with God. There are many people who have no desire to give their lives to Christ. They are just fine the way they are. And if all spiritually sick people wanted to get well, they would trust Jesus. But here's the problem. Just like this man, people today fail to understand who Jesus is. They fail to understand what Jesus can do. And in fact, in that same study I referenced earlier, 43% of evangelicals in the United States deny the divinity of Jesus. Forty, that's not the world saying that. That's people in evangelical churches saying that, that deny the divinity of Jesus. That deny that Jesus is God. They say he's a great teacher and a great man, but they don't believe he's God. And unfortunately, the church today is beginning to reflect the world. And if the church is not different than the world, the world isn't going to know there's a sin problem. If the church is not different than the world, the world is not going to know they need Jesus. Because if the church doesn't need Jesus, why in the world would the world need Jesus? And people are willing to try any plan but God's plan. People are willing to look for another way instead of God's way. People like to look to religion or to good works or being a good person or, or being part of a church. 56% of evangelicals believe God accepts worship of all religions. 56% of people who are sitting in an evangelical church today believe there is more than one way to God, and God accepts the worship of all religions. I don't know what Bible they're reading, but they're not reading this Bible. And by the way, God doesn't accept any religion. He only accepts a relationship. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It matters whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And if we in the church don't believe that this is the word of God, that this is absolute truth, there is no way we can share with others and help them see their need for Jesus. And none of these things have the power to free us from our sickness and our sin and reconcile our relationship with God. And apart from all these other things, they will disappoint us. And no matter what we do, our spiritual condition will not change without Jesus. We will be in the same place we already are. We can't free ourselves from our sin problem. The solution to our sickness called sin, there's nothing we can do but only something God can do through the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. John 14.6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
If you want your life to be changed, you need to come to the only one who can change it, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And the solution to your spiritual sickness is right in front of you, just like it was fronting this man. The solution to your spiritual sickness is Jesus. As salvation lies in him and him alone. John Dyer, a Welsh poet and pastor from the 1700s, he wrote this. He said, A man may go to heaven without health and without riches and without honors and without learning and without friends, but he can never go there without Christ. You can try all you want to be right with God. You can do whatever you want to try to get to heaven, but you'll never be right with God and you'll never get to heaven apart from Jesus. You see, today our world is filled with people who are seeking some other way than God to get to heaven. But all these other ways will fail us. All these other ways will disappoint us. And the only way is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He's the only way that can free us from the bondage of sin. He is the only one that can turn our hopelessness into hope. Or maybe you're here this morning, you've given your life to Christ. Or maybe you're struggling with something in your life. Maybe there's a sin you're struggling with. Or maybe there's a situation you're struggling with. And you say to God, God, I want to be healed. I've done everything I know how to do. I want to get in the water. I have no one to help me. I have no hope. But notice with those statements, the focus is on you. I want. I've done. I have. And when you become the focus of your problem instead of Jesus, your focus is in the wrong place. Because even though you can't do anything about your situation, there is nothing that Jesus can't do. And instead of focusing on you and what you can't do, focus on Him and what He can do. The third thing I want to point out is we receive from Jesus what we need, not necessarily what we want. Verse 8, he told the man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly the man got well. He picked up his bedroll, and he started to walk. This man wanted to get into the water as he thought this was the only way he could be healed. What he realized, the only source of his healing was not the water, it was Jesus. This man had the right goal. He wanted to be changed. He wanted to be free of his ailment, but he had the wrong goal method because his trust was in the water and not in Jesus. Many people today are putting their trust in the wrong place. Many people today might be trusting their finances. They might be trusting the government. They might be trusting other things. But until we put our trust in Jesus, we will never be healed. And what did Jesus say to a man who lost all hope? Did he say, oh, come on, I'll help you in the pool the next time the water's troubled? No, Jesus didn't say that. Did he say, hang in there, don't give up. I'm sure one day your opportunity will come to get in that water. No, he didn't say that. Did he say, you know, let me help make you comfortable. Let me get you a new mattress. Let me bring you some food. Did Jesus say those things? No. Look at what Jesus told him in verse 8. He said, get up and rise. He asked this man to do what he's been unable to do for 38 years. He tells him to get up. He didn't stop there. He said, pick up your mat or your bedroll. G. Campbell Morgan, a 
A great commentator said this, Jesus told this man to pick up his mat in order to make no revision for a relapse. Jesus did not want to give this man any reason to think that he needed to leave his mat at the pool just in case he needed it again. Jesus wanted to remove all doubt from this man. He wanted him to know that he was healed. He said, take up your bed. Get rid of it. Don't leave it here. You are not going to need it again. But I also think there's another reason Jesus wanted to take him to take up his mat. Remember, this took place on the Sabbath. Jews were not to do any work on the Sabbath. And by carrying his mat around the temple complex, this man was doing work, according to the Jews anyway. And Jesus wanted to show that he is greater than the law. Jesus wanted to show that he himself supersedes the law. And we'll look more about this later as Jesus has a confrontation with the, the Pharisees. But he says, then he says, walk. Why did he tell him to walk? Because there was no need for this man to be carried or helped anymore. This was a statement of healing. This was a sign that this man had been completely healed. If someone has been paralyzed, if they want to have the hope of walking again, they have to really, really work at it. It takes months and months of physical therapy and occupational therapy in order for someone who is paralyzed anyway to, to at least maybe have the chance of walking again. But only by the power of his words, Jesus gave this man the power to walk. Jesus gave this man the ability to do something he hadn't done in years, to do something that be, was beyond his capacity. Jesus gave this man a new lease on life. And those, there's no indication that this man put his faith in Jesus at this moment. This was a miracle where faith in Christ was not necessarily required. Rather, Jesus used this man's situation to show his power over sickness and to show his position that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And in order for this man to be healed, Jesus gave this man what he needed. He didn't give this man what he wanted. You know, this man wanted to get in the pool. That was his focus. But Jesus gave him something greater than that. Through his very words, Jesus gave this man the ability to walk which is what he needed and Jesus does the same for us Jesus doesn't always give us what we want but he always gives us what we need you see the Jews didn't need the, didn't need the Messiah to come and conquer the Roman government even though that's what they wanted they needed the Messiah to come and conquer sin and our relationship with God is not based on what we want. But what we need is determined by God himself. God knew we needed a Savior. As salvation and forgiveness of sin is not something that we could accomplish on our own. It was beyond our capability. But when we come to faith in Christ, we are given a new lease on life. And Jesus tells us what he told this man. He tells us to get up and walk. To don't keep doing what you were doing. Don't go back to the way you were. Jesus didn't save us to remain the same. Jesus saved us to be different. And when we are different, it is an indication that our lives have been changed by Jesus. Like this man, what was the indication that he had been changed 
by Jesus, his ability to get up and walk. And sometimes, just like this man who wanted Jesus to help him get into the water, I think we look to God to give us what we think we need and what we want, when in fact, God is all we need. All this man needed was Jesus. He didn't need anything else. And if we are struggling maybe with finances, we may ask God to give us a better job or, or something else. But when what God really wants us to do and needs for us to do is to trust Him more. If we're struggling in a relationship, we want God to change the other person. Or maybe He is the one or we are the one that He actually needs to change. And if we are suffering, we may say, God, please heal me or take the suffering away from me. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, just like this man, God always gives us what we need and not necessarily what we want. And what did this man do when Jesus commanded him to get up and to rise and to pick up his mat? He did as he was told. He didn't waste any time. Scripture says instantly he did what Jesus asked him to do. And our response to Jesus should be the same as this man. When Jesus tells us to do something, We're not to waste any time doing it. We're to respond immediately, understanding we can't live a life of obedience to Jesus in our own strength. We can only do it in His strength. He is the one who gives us the power to do what He asks us to do. It's only through the power of Jesus that we were delivered from spiritual sickness and rose from death to life. And He is the one who gives us the power to walk in Him and with Him each and every day. And we need to live each day understanding God does not give us what we want, but He gives us what we need. The last thing I want to share is because we're healed by Jesus, we should live for Jesus. Verses 9 through 15. After the man got up and walked, it was the Sabbath, so the, the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, This is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your bedroll. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your bedroll and walk. Who is this man who told you? Pick up your bedroll and walk, they asked. But the man who was cured did not know who it was. Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex, said to him, See, you're well. Do not sin anymore. So that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews. It was Jesus who had made him well. As I mentioned earlier, this healing takes place on the Sabbath. And as this man who was once paralyzed is walking around with his mat in the temple complex just as Jesus told him to do he's confronted by the religious leaders he's confronted by the Pharisees and they berate this man for carrying his mat on the Sabbath this was a serious offense in their eyes as they carried it with it the penalty of death here was a man who was healed after not being able to walk for 38 years and he faces the consequence of death simply for carrying his mat You see, the law of Moses did say it was a sin to work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. Shabbat means to cease. It means to rest. It's supposed to be a day of rest. However, the religious leaders had added to the law and had taken it to the extreme. They had added a commentary known as the Mishnah. And it's defined as the oldest authoritative post-biblical collection and codification of Jewish oral laws systematically compiled by numerous scholars over a period of about 200 years. 
And within the mission is a list of 39 things that could not be done on the Sabbath. And number 39 says it's illegal to transfer a load between domains. And they extended this to include carrying a mat. Now what's strange, it was okay to carry a man that was on a mat on the Sabbath, but you couldn't walk around with your own mat on the Sabbath. Don't quite understand that, but that was their rule. And they considered carrying a mat as carrying a load, and carrying loads for work was prohibited in the law of Moses. But the religious leaders had added to the law of Moses, and they accused this man of breaking the Jewish law of doing work and instead of being happy that this man was healed after 38 years and not being able to walk the religious leaders were upset that he had violated one of their man made rules they were more interested in the law being kept than the man being healed their rule to them was more important than this man's miracle and these religious leaders they were willing to deny Jesus as a son of God than they were their own religious traditions. They cared more about their rules and their laws than they did about a relationship with Jesus Christ and who he was. You know, it sounds like what is happening in churches today. We need to be careful about following man-made religious rules. We need to be careful about following traditions. We need to be careful about caring more about a denomination than more about doctrine. No denomination is more important than the doctrine. The truth of Scripture is what matters more than anything. And the healed man's defense was to shift the blame to Jesus when he was confronted by the Pharisees. You know what he did? He looked at the Pharisees and he said, He told me to do it. Sounds like a kid who gets in trouble. He made me do it. She made me do it. But when asked by the religious leaders who the man was that was healed him, he had no idea. He had no idea who Jesus was. He blamed Jesus for healing him, but he didn't know who he was. And in verse 15, they finally discover it was Jesus. And from this point on, they begin persecuting Jesus for doing miracles on the Sabbath as this is the first of seven miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath, and as we know, the persecution of Jesus continues until he is crucified. And you would think after being miraculously healed, if this man didn't know Jesus before, he would surely know who Jesus was after. If someone helps you, if someone goes out of their way and helps you with the problem, I think you're going to know their name. I think you're at least going to introduce yourself and have those kind of introductory conversations but this man made no effort to know Jesus his focus was on being healed and not the one who healed him and by this time Jesus had already slipped into the crowd and as this man is in the temple complex Jesus finds him he knew where he was going he knew he was going to the temple because the law said that you were supposed to make an offering of thanksgiving after you were healed and he told him in verse 14 as he finds this man he says stop sinning so something worse does not happen to you you see this is interesting because of what Jesus tells him as it gives the indication that this man's sin probably led to the cause of his paralysis and Jesus isn't saying it doesn't mean that all sickness 
that all ailments are a result of sin in our own lives. But sometimes they're a result of the poor choices we make. Sometimes our suffering is a result of our being disobedience to God. And because of the poor choices we make and our disobedience, we may incur sickness. We may incur difficulty. For example, if you drive at a high rate of speed and have a wreck, you're probably going to be injured severely. And maybe so are the people around you. But Jesus is conveying to this man. He's making it very clear to him that what has already happened to him was a result of the sin which must not be repeated. He's telling him, now that you are well, now that I have healed you, stop sinning. Don't do what you were doing. Don't go back to the way you were. And I believe this is a message all believers need to hear. Because once we're spiritually healed, once we're saved by God, we are to stop sinning. We are to quit doing what we were doing. We're not to go back to the way we are. We're to have a different lifestyle. We're to make different choices. We're to have a different way of thinking. And if nothing changes in your life after you say you gave your life to Christ, maybe you really didn't give your life to Christ to begin with. If you give your life to Jesus but nothing has changed, maybe you really didn't give your life to Jesus in the first place. Because the way we prove our lives have been changed by Jesus is to live for Jesus. And if we have truly been healed by God and cured of our problem of sin, we will desire to live for Him. And I believe this is what Jesus is telling this man. He's telling him if he truly believes in Him, he will no longer live a life of sin, but he will now live his life for Jesus. And He tells him if he don't, something worth is going to happen. The consequence of not believing in Jesus and living for Jesus is going to be worse than what he experienced for 38 years. And you might say, what is worse than this? Eternal judgment. Hell. From which there will be no deliverance. He's warning this man if he truly didn't give his life to him, he's going to endure something worse than paralysis when he leaves this life. But Jesus chased this man down. He found him in the temple and he gave them the solemn warning. You see, even after our sins are forgiven and we've given our life to Jesus, we have to make a constant effort to live for him. This morning, Jesus is telling you and me to stop sinning. If he has saved you, instead of running after sin, Instead of running towards sin, you will desire to run away from sin and you'll desire to run towards Jesus. And I believe this morning Jesus is asking us the same question he asked this man who was paralyzed for 38 years. He's asking us, do you want to get well? And before we can get well, we have to understand that we have a spiritual sickness called sin and Jesus is our only hope. He's the only one who can take care of our sin problem as we are helpless to free ourselves from the bondage of sin. There is nothing you or I can do to make us well spiritually. And if you want to get well, you can't do it your way. You can't do it the world's way. You only can do it God's way. It's not about religion. It's not about good works. It's not about being a good person. It's not about what you want or what you think you need. It's about God giving you what you need, which is His Son, Jesus Christ.
And once God has healed you spiritually by putting your faith and trust in Him and asking you to forgive you of your sin, your life should be different. You should stop sinning and start living for Jesus and never stop living for Jesus. And if Jesus has healed you by taking away your sin, you should act like it. The goodness of God and the grace of God should be evident in your life. This man got well by finding mercy at the pool of Bethesda. Remember, Bethesda means house of mercy. And the only way we're going to get well and stay well is to find mercy at the cross of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and just thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth. And Father, you ask us this morning the same question you asked this man, do you want to get well? And Father, I pray that each of us would examine our hearts this morning. And if there's someone here who doesn't know you, they've never given their life to you, Father, I pray that this morning they would say, yes, I want to get well. Father, I pray that they would not want to stay the way as they are in prison to their sin. God, I pray they would understand that they can't save themselves. And the only thing that can save them, the only thing that can deliver them from their sin, their only cure to their spiritual problem is Jesus Christ himself. And Father, I pray this morning they would desire to come and give their life to you and say, yes, I want to get well. I want to ask Jesus to come into my Father, I'm sure there are many this morning that are saying, well, I've given my life to Jesus. I've answered that question, and I want to get well. But God, maybe they're struggling with some sin in their life. Maybe they're running towards sin and not towards Jesus. And maybe, Father, you've spoken to them this morning and telling them to stop sinning and start living for me. Father, maybe there are here, those here this morning who are struggling with the situation in their life. And Father, instead of you being the focus of their lives, Father, maybe their focus has been on themselves and their situation. And Father, instead of focusing on themselves and what they can't do, maybe they need to focus on you and what you can do. God, I realize this morning that you always give us what we need and not necessarily what we want. Father, I ask that you would move among people this morning. Father, I pray that each of us would respond to you in obedience, either by giving our lives to you this morning or desire to live for you every day that we're on the face of this earth. God, we love you. We praise you. And we just ask that your will be done. It's in your name we pray.